This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the words of the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Well, when I say the name Jesus, what's the first word that comes to mind? Uh, For some, it's love. For others, it's Lord. And those are certainly appropriate words to consider when we're considering Jesus. But today I want you to add a third word to mind when you consider Jesus, and that is genius. In a day and age in which many question the intellectual strength of the Christian worldview and Christianity more broadly accusing it at times of being anti-intellectual, in spite of the fact that many of uh, history's graded and most noted scholars have been Christians, scientists have been Christians, philosophers and artists alike have been Christians, not only by uh, religious commitment of their uh, being a part of Western culture, but even uh, that being the grounds of the inspiration for their learning and artistry. In spite of all of that, to this day, in many academy settings and uh, broadly culturally, Christianity is not viewed as being uh, an intellectually uh, robust faith. And therefore, I think that Jesus often is underestimated for the level of his intellectual prowess. Now, all of this may sound a little bit heretical when you consider the fact that, after all, Jesus is uh, the God-man, that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Word who's come in flesh that um, that when we talk of deity, to speak of intellect and genius may seem like an inappropriate category altogether. But my guest today has spent his life analyzing, um, researching the words of Jesus, uh, more broadly the New Testament, and in his examination of Jesus as a teacher, has come to a very important conclusion— and that is Jesus is a genius by any measure of the word. I'm so grateful to have Dr. Peter J. Williams as my guest today. He is the principal of Tyndale House, Cambridge. He's the chair of the International Greek New Testament Project and a member of the ESV Translation Oversight Committee. He's the author of several books including the one we'll feature today, The Surprising Genius of Jesus. Peter, how are you today, brother? I'm doing really well. Great to be with you. 
It is really good to be with you as well. Uh, before we dive into the book, talk a little bit about your work at Tyndale House. Yeah, so Tyndale House in Cambridge, England, is a Bible research center. I think it's a the biggest collection of uh, Jesus freaks who are Bible geeks in the world. <laughs> and uh, we have uh, Britain's largest library of the Bible, and people come from around the world in order to study the Bible at a really high level. Uh, in our uh, premises and people can uh, live there, uh, stay there. We've got a, a worshiping and serving community. That's so good. And how long have you been there, Peter? 16 years. 16 years. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing there. Uh, also, the uh, oversight you and others provide for the ESV translation. There's not a week that goes by, uh, scarcely a day that goes by, that I'm not using the ESV uh, to um, help in my understanding of God's Word. So thank you for that. What's the motivation, inspiration behind the surprising genius of Jesus? Well, it's half, half of the book, and it's a short book, is about Jesus's longest story. That's the story of the two sons or the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And I've been teaching on that for many, many years. I teach interactive Bible studies on it, and I've just see, been seeing more and more in it. And over time, it dawned on me that just as a work of art, as a story, there is nothing like it for its depth and uh, that it's evidence of Jesus's cleverness. Uh, now, as a Christian, you can take that for granted because we say, well, Jesus is God, therefore he knows everything. But what I'm saying is you can take this on the street to anyone. You can show them this story and show them the cleverness of Jesus. Uh, at an intellectual yes. level, there isn't anyone who's ever produced a three-minute story with this much stuff in, this much depth, yes. uh, this, yeah, this much uh, perception about human life. It leads to a second question, complimentary question, and that is, um, who did you write the book for? Now, I know every author could easily say uh, approximately 7.5 billion people is who I wrote the book for. But but more specifically, who who's the audience that you have in mind for this? Well, that's a really interesting question, because my last um, readable book, uh, Can We Trust the Gospels? I knew the answer exactly. It was engineers. And I was writing it for people who like to know how things work. This book, I struggled all the way through because I didn't know who it was for. Uh, mm. I, I mm. felt it was a book I just had to write. There had to be uh, what I'd seen in this story that I think is real. I'm not just you know seeing mirages uh, is profound. Uh, and I felt it needs to get out for the church. And I wrote the introduction. It can be for non-Christians. My aim is that they see that uh, Jesus is someone who is the supreme teacher and we need to bow yes. our knee before him. And with Christians, uh, that their hearts will be glad and they won't be led to worship Christ. So I think it yes. can work with both. Peter, I, um, I think of a maybe... Um a third audience that fits within uh, or maybe more niche, if you will, audience within this discussion. As, as you know, I've, I've enjoyed studying abroad. I've had the privilege of studying uh, at Oxford. I've had the 
privilege of uh, at Wycliffe Hall there. I've had the privilege of studying at Harvard. And one of the uh, things that is most uh, notable to me is how dismissive the intellectual prowess of the Christian faith is within those settings. While uh, certainly you can find literature professors who will acknowledge the poetic beauty of the language of Scripture, you will also find philosophy professors who will acknowledge the moral uh, uh, aptitude and impact of the teachings of Jesus, you almost find a collective dismissiveness of the intellectual strength that Jesus possessed, his genius, his wit, his insightfulness. Um, It seems to me that a book like this has much to say in a setting like that. Talk a little bit about how this book can help um, the university student or maybe even the university professor in addressing the anti-intellectual bias in uh, many of our great academic institutions. Yes, well, I think we're, we're used to the idea nowadays of a talent show. Uh, some people can do... Uh, some music, some people could do some performance. I think that this story can enter into a talent show and win. So that's one side of it. And I also think that for those who like literature and, uh, well, everyone likes a story, I think, uh, that this can speak to them because you see just how, how deep it is. And the point is that there is evidence that you can turn to left on this planet which is showing you the cleverness of jesus just as with leonardo da vinci you can look at his paintings and mozart you can look at his symphonies this is something which jesus has generated uh, which is proof of his cleverness why these why the stories that you picked out of all that he taught what caused you to zero in on these stories? Well, it's uh, it's his longest story. It's three minutes long. I do actually talk through some of the other stories in the third chapter of the book, but I, I thought we should unpack it. But also it's said to be told to a particular audience. So it says in Luke that it's told to tax collectors and sinners. You don't really expect them to take much interest in the Bible. Uh, And then Pharisees and scribes and scribes, their main job is to copy out the Bible. So you've got that really mixed audience. And I think it's a beautiful story that works if you don't know any of the Bible. But if you do know the Bible, it has deeper layers uh, because it triggers off so many of the stories in Genesis. Uh, it's, It's based on so many of them, involves them. And so that's that's a clever thing to be able to teach um different abilities or knowledge levels uh, simultaneously. I mean, anyone could do that is incredible. Yes. Uh, yes. The other thing I think it would say to academics is Jesus has a whole load of learning, but he doesn't show it off. So sometimes clever people can hide things behind long words. And Jesus tells, uh, doesn't wear his learning on his sleeve, if I can put it like that. He um, tells something that is entirely simple it will work if you know nothing of the cultural background. It will travel to almost any country and it will work in terms of the family dynamics and what you'd understand. 
but if you do know the Bible at a deep level, it also has a whole load of extra messages. And I think that's very clever. So often when we think of uh, genius, there are some qualities that must be pulled together. I want you to be able to define it. I mean, I think of profound wisdom, verbal dexterity. I think of simplicity, creativity. But what is a working definition, Peter, of genius? Well, I think um, genius has this jaw-dropping element for us. Um, So as in... As in the the Bible, uh, you have this concept of miracles, and we tend to think nowadays that's about supernatural, uh, being supernatural. That's not what the definition of a miracle is in the Bible. They're called miracles, which is to do with the the Latin word for um, being amazed or wonders that make you wonder. What makes the miracles is that your jaw drops uh, when you see them. And I think that's really what's going on uh, with genius. You think, how can anyone do this uh this is uh, so clever so it's not a a cleverness that we can easily think of a path towards that we could somehow do that and get just as good um so i i think it is just the stunning nature of how much someone can fit in a three minute story i've never seen the like of it um in my life yeah it sounds to me like you are equally enamored with his efficiency as you are with his insightfulness. And, uh, and and I wanna be able to pull those two together in this conversation. The book is entitled The Surprising Genius of Jesus. We're gonna take a break, but when we come back, I wanna get into it. It is very approachable. It is a book that I believe every one of us can learn and grow from. It's a book in which Peter Williams Uh, does really invite the reader into the exegetical work that pastors do week to week in many ways and really analyzing a text and asking some profound questions. So we're going to ask some profound questions about Jesus and the story of the prodigal son. Feel free to grab your Bibles to get ready to look at Luke 15 when we come back. While we're away at break, please consider financially supporting the program. Your generous tax-deductible gift will help us to fulfill our mission of equipping Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend their faith. Go to equipradio.org. We'll be right back. If you're talking about a hot topic at home, at work, and with friends, then we want to talk about it too. In fact, every day on Equip, we're talking about current issues and how faith intersects with life. Today, I'm inviting you to become an Equipper. In this role, you'll give a monthly donation to support the ministry of Equipped. And as an Equipper, I'll send you regular emails that contain brief pastoral messages prepared just for you. Become an Equipper right now by calling 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.com. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. You know, every new year, we all set goals and resolutions. I hope that part of yours is to go deeper in your understanding and application of Scripture. One of the things that has helped me as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ and my spiritual growth has been memorizing Scripture. Now, I know that can seem daunting or maybe even a task for new believers or kids, but certainly not for 
adults or those who have walked with Jesus for a long time. But I will say that the memorization of scripture should be a lifelong journey. That's why I'm really excited that all month long we're featuring Glenna Marshall's book, Memorizing Scripture, The Basics, Blessings, and Benefits of Meditating on God's Word. I know we are all familiar of Psalm 119, verse 11, that word if I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I think that that is a really, really strong encouragement that we continue to meditate on Scripture and that we commit ourselves to knowing Scripture well. So I want to encourage you, and I want you to know you can do it. You can memorize Scripture. You can grow in your knowledge of God's Word and deepen the internalization of his word in your heart. So all month long, we're going to give you this uh, book in exchange for your support for the program. So I want you to consider supporting the program, but I also want to be a blessing to you as you start the new year out. I can't think of a better way of growing this year spiritually than to commit to the internalization and memorization of God's word. Memorizing scripture. Call us today at 888-644-4144 or go to equipradio.org. Today, our guest is Dr. Peter J. Williams. He's not only the principal of the Tyndale House in Cambridge, but he's also the author of The Surprising Genius of Jesus, what the Gospels reveal about the greatest teacher. You know, I quickly did a Google search, Peter, of uh, great uh, thinkers throughout history, and you won't be surprised at some of the names on the list, from Socrates to Leonardo da Vinci, even Charles Darwin and Albert Einstein shows up on the list. Emmanuel, Kant, Plato, Voltaire. Why is it that Jesus is not often on the list of geniuses? Why hasn't he, he been considered a genius? I think it's a really good question. I think perhaps from the Christian side, well, we say he, he's God, therefore he knows everything, so we're not at all surprised by how knowledgeable uh, his sayings are. And from the non-Christian side, I think sometimes people have uh, cast Jesus as a sort of clever peasant or someone who's quick-witted, but not someone who is really wise, the word of God who who made everything. You know, it's interesting because um, so often people will say, well, he didn't write anything right? Um, But neither did Socrates, and yet Socrates shows up. So um, is is that a part of it? I I think that is part of it. I mean, Jesus came up with so many clever sayings, even things I don't consider in my book, like the truth will set you free. Just saying that one thing should be enough to get worldwide fame. Uh, that, That it's or a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, or judge not that you be not judged, or do unto others what you'd have them do to you. Turn the other cheek. These are all, in their own right, amazing things for anyone to have said. And for someone, I just rattled off five, to be able to say all of those things, uh, that's phenomenal. I agree. I fully agree. So let's go into Luke chapter 15, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, I would argue, probably one of the most taught chapters of the Bible. 
But yeah, there is a saying, Peter, that familiarity breeds contempt. And uh, so often I think that it breeds also a blindness the more we are familiar with the text. Is there certain things that we are missing when we come to Luke 15 because we're so familiar? Oh, I think absolutely. Uh, I think a bit like knowing that David killed Goliath or the Titanic sunk, um, anyone who's read this story, heard it, knows that the father runs, embraces and kisses the runaway son. And they've got that bit and therefore they think, well, that's the main bit, so I can therefore switch off. And they miss the fact that every single word in this story counts. That's already clever. And they miss usually the fact that when the younger son comes to his father and asks for the inheritance, that the father gives the inheritance to both sons. That's what it says. He divided the inheritance between them. And therefore, the older brother should be really happy uh, that the younger brother's done the dirty work and asked dad for the inheritance early. And he's done amazingly well and ends up with a farm. Uh, And so when you read him at the end complaining, you never gave me a young goat. Well, he gave him every goat on the farm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think there's that side which people miss. And then I think people miss the closeness of the runaway son to the father. So all three times he talks to his father once in his head and twice out loud. He says, father, that's the missing word from the older son's mouth. He bursts out and says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And so for a storyteller to to be able to tell you things by a missing word, that that you've got a a son who's physically close at the farm the whole time, but emotionally is further away than the son in a far country. That's the power of this story. You know, first off, I I just want to say bravo to you for pointing out the power of what is not there as well as the power of what is there. And I just want to instruct our listeners that this is why, although you read a particular passage of scripture once or twice, or maybe even 10 times that there's still value in going back again and again and again, because we will scarcely plummet the depths of Jesus's teaching. um, uh, If we were to read it, a hundred times. But yet, Peter, I have to assume at some point you had to settle on the fact that I need to put pen to paper and write this book, even though I would imagine that you can go back into that story even today and maybe be amazed at an additional insight that you encounter. Yeah, I've seen a few things I wish I'd put in the book, but uh, (laughs) since it came out, and I think that's the nature of it, that it just goes on and on. Uh, but yes. I also like short books. So uh, my yes. book should yes. be, you can read in four hours. And I, I, I think uh, as a challenge for all of us reading really long books uh, nowadays. And yes. so I think if you can say it briefly, do say it briefly. Yeah. Thanks for being sensitive to those of us with ADHD. I appreciate that, <laughs> brother. Uh, let's talk about the other stories within Chapter 15, the lost sheep, the lost coin, before we get mm-hmm. to the lost son, what is it that connects these stories and how does Jesus as a master storyteller give connection here? Well, they're all about lost and found, all three stories in the chapter, and they all involve celebration. So the sheep, one in a hundred sheep, gets lost going away from home, then uh, is found and then there's rejoicing. 
then there's a coin lost at home and then it's found then there's rejoicing then you have the story of the son who goes away from home comes back and then there's rejoicing and then you have the older brother and he is at home and the story ends without you knowing whether he comes into the party and whether there is rejoicing so there's a cliffhanger but it allows you a certain sudoku principle there if there's rejoicing about the coin found at home Therefore, there would be rejoicing if this older brother were to come in. It also builds up um, from one in 100 to one in 10. So uh, 1% to 10%. The next percent you expect is 100%. But it never tells you the older brother is lost. It just strongly implies it. Um, So I think that's a really powerful way that those two stories uh, build up. Uh, to the climactic story and of course jesus says elsewhere that a human is much more valuable than a sheep so that's why the story is structured along that uh, the three stories are structured along that principle that the most valuable comes last we have to uh prepare for another break peter i'm so intrigued by this conversation and i hope our listeners are as well when we come back one of the things i would love for us to do peter is to um, help to draw sight lines to Genesis, because I think there is some tremendous allusions to Genesis that need to be seen that can easily be missed. Friends, I hope you are getting excited about this book, The Surprising Genius of Jesus. He's more than a storyteller, though. There's something deeper that's here. Yes, I want you to be able to appreciate Jesus' intellect, his prowess, his verbal um, dexterity, if you will. But I also want you to be able to understand that he is Lord, he is Savior, he is Redeemer. So today, I encourage you to consider surrendering your heart in relationship to Jesus, yielding your life to him. We'll talk more about that on the other side of this break. Next up on Equip with Chris Brooks. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Grateful to have you join us today, having a phenomenal conversation with Dr. Peter J. Williams about his newest book, The Surprising Genius of Jesus, It's a great way for us to uh, engage our understanding of Jesus as a thinker, as a storyteller, and even greater as Lord and Savior. Peter, um, before we go back into the chapters of the book, I want you to just share a little bit on who is Tim Tim and who is Fiona? (laughs) Oh, so they're the people I've dedicated it to, uh, the book to. And uh, Tim is my brother, and Fiona's my sister-in-law. So I want you to consider for just a moment um, just the blessings of uh, those relationships, but it speaks to something uh, more important to me, and that is, as I read your endorsement, thought about the nature of those, those relationships, why is it a benefit to us to learn in community? In an age of technology that drives social isolation, 
in which so many of us can easily revert to privatization in our learning. Why is there still a value in the call of discipleship to enter into community with others? Well, Christ left the church, the assembly. The whole body of Christ is built around meeting together. He instituted communion, the Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it, as a way that people physically get together. And online uh, can supplement that, but it can't replace that. And in addition, because the Holy Spirit doesn't do pay for blessing, you can't pay for the Holy Spirit's blessing. We mustn't think that when we get very large numbers of engagement online, uh, that that is somehow equating to the Holy Spirit's blessing. He may work that way, but where he's guaranteed to work is where uh, two or three are gathered together in the name of Christ. I think sometimes the lack of cleverness, the lack of genius is seen in the overabundance of uh, the need for words. Um, Sometimes just uh, efficiency reveals uh, genius and, and insightfulness. So as we consider the cleverness of Jesus, in particular in connection to the book of Genesis, Help us to see some things that he does in this three-minute story that are absolutely astounding. So he's talking amongst others to scribes, and he begins a story, a certain man had two sons. Now, that can trigger, if you're a Bible expert, and particularly they spend their time copying out the first five books of the Bible and the book of Genesis the most, is it could make you think of Adam, who had two sons, and then there was the older one, Cain, who was envious about the younger And actually killed him. And there's a lot of similarity with Jesus' story where you've got that jealousy of the older brother. Uh, Or it could remind you of Abraham, who had two sons. And he's the only other person who gives away his inheritance while he's still alive. And he's the first guy in the Bible to run. And he's an old guy when he runs, like the person in Jesus' story. And the very first word from Abraham's mouth in Genesis 18, verse 6, is the word quick, which is the first word from the father's mouth in this story. Or it could remind you of the man who is most famous for having two and only two sons. That's Isaac, who has Esau and Jacob. Jacob, the younger brother, tricks the older one out of the inheritance. The older brother's so mad at him uh, that uh, Jacob goes off into a far country, feeds animals, comes back, expecting his older brother to be really angry with him. And his older brother runs, embraces and kisses him, just like the father in this story. So I think already that shows you what a lot is in just that opening of Jesus' story. Yeah, I love that. And yet, um, will those who are unfamiliar with the Old Testament not benefit as much as those who are? I think if you're a tax collector or a sinner and you know nothing about the Bible, it's a really powerful story to you. 62% of it is about the runaway younger son, and it's a welcome back to you, uh, whatever you've done, uh, to know that the Father God there is ready to receive you. That's really powerful. And it works if someone doesn't know the Bible. I mean, this is the beauty of it. It can go to any culture and work. It's about basic family dynamics, father, older brother, younger brother, sibling rivalry, you can get it wherever you're from. So I don't think it's that people are missing uh, the basics of the story. It's that there's so much more as you go on and 
look deeper into Jesus's words. I think one of the brilliance of your book is that you don't have to uh, be a follower of Christ to appreciate it, though hopefully that leads to, it leads you to that conclusion. Do you feel like someone has to um, believe in things like infallibility of scripture in order to appreciate what you've uh, communicated in the book. And I think akin to that, how do we defend the person, uh, the, the question rather of how do you know that these stories can be as ascribed to Jesus? So I, I start and I say, all you need to do is believe that the, um, the stories in the Gospels have a general reliability uh, and the connection with Jesus. You don't need to believe that every single word comes from Jesus in order to get the argument. But when we get to uh, chapter four of my book, I try to show the whole lot, every single word comes from Jesus. So I think um, I try and draw people in and then to see the argument for reliability, because you can't get a brilliant story made by committee. So to say that Jesus came up with the heart of the story and yet not all of the words doesn't give you the story that we have. The story is a one where en you take any word away and you've lost something. Uh, so I think it's, it's a word where every word is a story where every word counts. Uh, the genius is in the whole and in the parts. How does this story, though, help to further deepen my confidence in the overall New Testament? Well, if a three-minute story has been handed down reliably, and it's not just the story, the setting is handed down, because it wouldn't make sense for Jesus to put in lots of Old Testament references if he's not talking to people who know the Old Testament. And Luke says he's talking to scribes and Pharisees. So... I think the, the story and the setting have to be reliable. And you can see the same pattern elsewhere. You can see similarities with other stories of Jesus in other Gospels. So overall, it hangs together to say the whole lot comes from Jesus. Okay, Peter, I'm thinking of uh, parents who have young adult children in universities right now. How would you recommend they utilize this in relation to their young adult son or daughter who's being um, at the same time simultaneously exposed to uh, an agnostic ethos, religious pluralism, um, anti-intellectual bias towards Christianity. How would you recommend a parent of a university student utilizing this with their kids? Well, I think it, it should work very powerfully with say someone's doing an English major uh, then you can say look this is literature this is about story uh, all sorts of people are into stories that makes sense and also it puts the focus on the person of Jesus not on any um, Christian political movement or anything like that uh, it's not about the church it's about Jesus and that's what we've got to stress to people as they're finding their way at university we're not asking them to sign up to a particular modern movement we're we're asking them to follow jesus yeah i think this leads really well into where i would love for us to land our plane i wanted to take a break peter but when we come back from this break i want to talk about jesus as more than storyteller 
Friends, I hope that this conversation is not just stimulating to you, but that it is evoking a question, and that is, who is Jesus to you? And I pray that as you consider that question, that you would consider who he declares himself to be. If Jesus is who he claims to be, the very Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah of Israel and Savior of the world, what are the implications of that on our own lives? I think the only proper response is worship, the surrendering and yielding of our lives to his Lordship. I pray that that will be the choice you make today. Find out more by dialing 888-NEED-HIM. I'll be right back. You know, I've heard that for every one person that sends a gift to support Equip, there are probably 10 others that don't. But I can tell you this, we deeply appreciate every single one of you who support this program. Your impact is huge. Maybe it's been a long time since you've contacted Equip, or maybe you've never responded. Isn't it time to call? Here's the number, 888-644-4144 or equipradio.org. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Friends, knowing the Bible is an essential part of having a vibrant life in Christ. That's why I want to equip you to live each day grounded in God's Word. And that's why I've chosen the book Memorizing Scripture by Glenna Marshall as our impact gift this month. I want you to discover memorization techniques that work for you and learn how to truly meditate on God's Word. Now, this book is our gift to you when you support Equip at any amount. So if we've been a blessing to you, can you consider sending a generous gift to us today? Two ways you can do that. Go to our website, equipradio.org, or dial this number, 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. So grateful today to be joined by Dr. Peter J. Williams. If you are just tuning in, he is the principal of the Tyndale House. It's a uh, Bible research uh, institute in Cambridge, England. He's also the chair of the International Greek New Testament Project and a member of the ESV Translation Oversight Committee. He's also the author of the featured book today, The Surprising Genius of Jesus. You have dedicated an entire chapter to arguing that while Jesus is genius, uh, that the story is profound, that he is far more than a storyteller. What do you mean by that? Well, Jesus tells brilliant stories, but also his own life makes a story. So if you go to a synagogue near you and find out their scriptures, you'll find their scriptures, uh, just like our Old Testament, begin with the book of Genesis. And in the book of Genesis, one of the early scenes, chapter three, is this scene of the humans at a tree taking fruit that they shouldn't take and death coming into the world through that. And that's the beginning of a story and it doesn't give you the end. It doesn't show you. Uh, If you're telling a story, you need to have a beginning and you need to have an end. But Jesus's own life makes that end. So it's a matter of historical record, not just Christian belief, historical record that Jesus died on a cross, which is a form of tree. They don't smooth down the wood to make it into 
uh, something we might make furniture from. It's a tree and he hangs on a tree. He is, dies and brings life. So that's the focal scene of the four Gospels, the four earliest accounts of Jesus's life is something that makes a story connect back to Genesis. And that's amazing because that's uh, something that you can find from Jewish sources in the Talmud talks about Jesus being hanged on the eve of Passover. He dies just when the Jews are celebrating their greatest deliverance, the Passover, at their capital city. It's all incredible. So it, it, it's not that a random person died in a random country and some people thought he came back to life again. It's actually that his own life makes a story arc with the beginning of the Jewish sacred scriptures. So a storyteller who independently from that is also it makes a story with their life. That's incredible. Yeah, that is incredible. Going back to the uh, Luke 15 prodigal son story, what do you think Jesus's goal aim was in telling the story? Well, Jesus is reaching two different uh, groups of people. He's telling tax collectors and sinners uh, and those who feel weighed down by sin, they can come and return to Father God and he'll welcome them. And also telling those who are full of self-righteousness, like Pharisees and scribes who are judging others, uh, that they need to accept those wayward brothers. That's the, the, the essential thing that the, far, the older brother has to do in order to come into the party is he has to accept his younger brother back. Uh, that's all uh, caught up in it. And so I think sometimes if you're uh, brought up in a religious setting and you think you're all right, uh, then you don't like sinners getting fast track to God. Uh, you really don't like that at all because you've been putting in the hours, the time being good. <laughs> and so you yeah. look at them judgmentally and think, no, I don't want that. And Jesus tells this very powerful story that says, no, if you want to be in the celebration, you have to accept them. Yes. And it also is a caution, Peter, to my own heart that, man, um, I can get to a place of bitterness, anger, resentment with the non-Christian world or with Christians who aren't behaving the way that I would hope, that I can even get so bitter, so angry, that I forget to call him father. Mm -hmm. That seems to be profound. There seems to be profound implications there for my own soul. Yeah, when he says, all these years I've been slaving for you, uh, it's clearly, it may be the first time he's complaining, but it's been building up for a while. And he's the son, he's the heir and yet he sees himself as a slave for his dad. He actually owns the farm. Uh, so that's just in incredible how people can think that God's mean uh, and not realize how generous he is and how he's the father. Well, Peter, you've given us a brilliant book, and uh, I, I think that it, it demonstrates for us an aspect of uh, Jesus that is so often underappreciated and overlooked. But as you said earlier, it points to something even more significant, and that is not only is he a, a storyteller, but a story is told with his life. Um, I, I guess as I conclude this conversation with you, I want to give you the opportunity of sharing your hope, your desire. For those who read the book, what's your ultimate hope or aim? Well, my hope is that any who are Christian believers will 
uh, worship Christ, be amazed at him, and also think that they uh, need to study the scriptures more deeply because there's more in there than they thought. And for those who are, are not Christians, that they see that there's no one better to teach them and guide them in life than Jesus Christ. Yeah, I would affirm that. I would echo that. We need to continue to grow in our awe and wonder of Jesus. I think that's what provokes us to worship, uh, considering what he said and uh, the broad implications of what he said. Or to put it another way, a way that's been uh, stated uh, by many previously, how now shall we live in light of what he just said? I think that's the question that every single one of us should be asking ourselves as we consider Jesus. Peter, if you wouldn't mind, uh, before I let you go, would you mind praying for us? Yeah, I'd love to do that. Let's pray. Our Lord and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son into the world to save us from our sins. And thank you for the amazing stories that he told and the story that he made uh, in dying on the cross and rising again. And we pray that we may just be caught up with wonder at the offer of salvation that comes from you. In his name, amen. Well, brother, uh, we are beyond grateful for your labor of love in putting together uh, this book. It's entitled The Surprising Genius of Jesus, what the Gospels reveal about the greatest teacher. And uh, what a blessing it's been to talk with you, Peter, about the book and to have a deeper insight into the teaching ministry of Jesus. I hope that this has done those two things that Peter just aimed at and shared as his aspiration. I hope for those of you who uh, um, are familiar with the Word of God, it is creating a hunger to go deeper, to understand God's Word and Scripture more. And for those of you who have yet to trust or believe in Jesus, know this, that while he can be ultimately important if he is who he says he is, or he can be unimportant if he is not who he says he is, what he can't be is just mildly important, uh, moderately important. We must confront the question, is Jesus Lord of all? I believe him to be so, and I pray that you will come to that faith as well. Peter, thanks for carving out time to be with us today. My pleasure. Friends, I want to encourage you again uh, to get a copy of The Surprising Genius of Jesus. You can find out more at our website at equipradio.org. Now, if you've enjoyed this conversation and others on Equip, and if we've been a blessing to you, can you consider supporting us today? Your generosity helps to fuel our mission and allows us to continue to touch lives with the good news of God's grace in your community and, and beyond. So today, can you give your gift of 50 or 100 or 500 or even $1,000 or more as God gives you grace? Go to equipradio.org. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Hey there, friends, Chris Brooks here. I can't wait to talk with 
one of America's most popular family members from Duck Dynasty, Al Robertson. He'll fill us in on a film that covers the story of the family's brokenness and journey to healing and faith, as well as the podcast, Unashamed. Don't miss this great conversation on Equip. Listen live weekdays at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on the Moody Radio app or equipradio.org.